Well, our scripture reading Good afternoon. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that uh, for the beauty of this season, Lord, just what it means to so many people, and we thank you, Lord, for the real meaning of this season. Lord, as we come to our scripture and we study Mary's song, Lord, would you help us to more deeply appreciate your, your action on our behalf, and also, Lord, to more deeply enter in to the life you've called us to live because of it. We thank you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we continue our Advent study of Luke, we find ourselves in this very famous song. If you've been with us over the last weeks, we've been studying these encounters that Mary has had uh, as she was told by the angel that she was going to be the mother of this son who would be the king, not just of Israel, but of the world. And so last week we talked about these encounters between Zechariah and the angel and and Mary and the angel, and also Mary and Elizabeth, and how that showed about how there is grace in waiting, and how God calls us especially as we worship his son to wait upon him in expectation, to wait in the presence of God, and to wait in community as Mary and Elizabeth did together. And now we're, pre- we're studying the, the verse right after those passages we studied, where As Elizabeth said to Mary, blessed are you among women, Mary responded by this song. And this song is really the most famous praise song in all of Christian history. This song has been sung for the past 2,000 years in in big cathedrals, in small little secluded churches in the middle of nowhere by candlelight. It's been sung by monks in monasteries. It's been sung with kettle drums and trumpets by Vivaldi and Bach and, and Mozart. If you ever do a uh, Spotify search of the word magnificat, which is the Latin word for this song, basically in Latin the word magnificat means to magnify, which is the first word of this song in Latin. If you do a Spotify search, you'll just see hundreds and hundreds of magnificats. I did a little deep dive uh, this week in Spotify as I was preparing the sermon, and I was listening to everything from like Mozart's just 
you know, kettle drums and trumpets and an exuberant version of the song to a quiet kind of multi-layered a cappella song of the Magnificat to a reggae version to a punk rock version. There are just tons of versions, thousands of versions of this song. And the reason why the song is so popular is because it really was the gospel before the gospel. Mary uh, sang the song 30 weeks before Jesus was born. She sang the song 30 years before Jesus died for our sins. Yet still she understood God's mercy and God's coming through her son. And so this song is a song of mercy. It is a song about God's gift of mercy to undeserving people. The idea of mercy is compassion and forgiveness shown towards someone who is, uh, whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. When I talk about mercy, and I've talked about it before this way, uh, you could think of like justice as if someone stopped you, uh, you're in your car and you're speeding, and a, a police person stops you and says, justice, here's a ticket. You did the crime, you take the punishment. That's justice, getting what you deserve. Mercy, though, would be like the police person coming up to you and saying, yep, here's a ticket, you were speeding, but I'm taking that ticket from you. You deserve it, but I'm not going to make you uh, have the punishment. So it's not getting what you deserve. It's compassion and forgiveness given by someone who is within their power to punish you or harm you. And that's what Mary is just so overwhelmed about, that God showed mercy. Now, when we think about mercy in our life, I think it's a little bit harder for us to even appreciate mercy given to us and also give mercy to others. You know, when people give us gifts, they usually come with strings attached. You know, someone gives us something, we're expected to give something back to others. And especially something like God's mercy is just hard to understand because we think we got to earn it. We think we got to do something to get it. I mean, that's led to so much insecurity in people's faith. I know for even some of you, you've, it's led you to insecurity in your faith about going, does God really love me? I know he gives me mercy, but he's going to take it away if I do something bad. I just know it. Because that's the kind of mercy we've received. Not unconditional mercy, but conditional mercy. People have been nice to us, but then if we're not nice to them or we do something wrong, it's taken away. And so that's not really mercy at all. It's conditional love. So understanding this idea of mercy is hard, and even giving it is harder. Usually we give mercy to those who deserve it, or we think deserve it. It's hard to give mercy to someone we think does not deserve it. If someone has been consistently mean to us, or uncaring, if someone who has been hurtful to us in various ways, someone who has gossiped about us, someone who has uh, disrespected us, We don't want to show mercy to them. We want to punish them. It's within our right and ability to punish them in some way. It might just be something passive-aggressive, just thinking terrible things about them. might be saying terrible things and gossiping about them. But showing compassion and forgiveness is really hard. It's easy to show it with those who deserve it. It's hard to show it when people don't deserve it. So when we come to this song about mercy... We see that, of course, God gives us mercy, but there's a lot we have to learn about mercy. 
That's why Christmas every year when it comes around, this is a time for us to learn again about mercy. You know, we talk about what is the, what is the, the, the meaning of Christmas, you know. Um, in the secular world, the meaning of Christmas could just be giving, to give it to others. The meaning of Christmas could be, you know, good cheer and holiday, family, all the, you know, traditions of the season. But Mary reminds us that the reason for the season, the meaning of the season, is mercy. That's what the season is about. A gift of compassion and forgiveness given by someone whom it's within their power to punish you or to harm you and to do it justifiably because of the ways we wander from God. But we see that Mary is overwhelmed that God has given mercy. The word magnificat, magnify, in Greek means to um, increase or enlarge. So it's like Mary had a, a megaphone and say, I'm increasing the mercy of God. I want to tell it to everyone. And I know that that might not be your, your song today. Even as I was preparing this this week, I, I had this realization that I don't feel so merciful this week. I didn't feel like I was able to really receive God's mercy that much this week. But in the midst of this, we have God's proclamation that Mary is saying that mercy has come. And if we just allow it, if we just receive it, it begins to change us. So today we're going to be reminded as we come into Christmas season about how mercy changes us, and especially the mercy of God and Jesus Christ, who Mary speaks about, how it changes us personally, how it changes our church, and how it changes the world. Those are the three movements of this song. If you are listening, you see that Mary starts with a personal proclamation, and then she talks about Israel, her people, and then she talks about the world and how it's shaped by mercy. So we're going to look at these movements as we understand how mercy shapes us as well. So we firstly look at how mercy shapes us personally, and we see that, that Mary's song starts in the first person. She says, uh, she sings this, she says, that my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. Now when she says my soul, she's just saying the deepest part of herself. Like in, her, in the depths of herself, in the deepest depths of who she is, she is magnifying, increasing, enlarging God's praises because of his mercy. And she uses two kind of a juxtaposition of two contrasting aspects of God and us when she describes this. She says, firstly, my spirit rejoices in my Savior. Here she is talking about the greatness of God. God is the Savior. Here she is echoing what the angels just said. The angels had just said to her, God is going to bring this king and the king is going to rule the world, going to save you from your sins. So she is saying, wow, God is great and amazing. But then look at what Mary does. And then she says, for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. Now, the word humble estate is not one we use, you know, in modern language. We never say, yes, oh Lord God, you've looked on my humble estate. But what she is saying here, the word can translate as humiliation. So she is literally saying here, you have looked down on my humiliation. 
on the, the deepest humiliation in my life. And when she speaks of humiliation, she's speaking of the humiliation that her people have received under the Roman Empire. Under the Roman Empire, uh, her people were made less than human. They were treated like less than fully human beings. They were treated like dogs. They were given little value and respect. So she looks to God and says, my people are disrespected. They are looked down upon. They are daily uh, made fun of. Please help us. And that's where this song is actually for oppressed people around the world. This song has been an anthem of hope. For 2,000 years, people who have, have been hurting and struggling have sang this song. And they've remembered God is with them. But also she speaks about another humiliation that all of us uh, kind of can also experience, do also experience. And that's also the humiliation of sin. Her people's history, as we've talked about through our study of Nehemiah, has been one of seeking other gods, worshiping other gods and other idols. And that's humiliating in front of God. That they have disrespected God. They have shown themselves to be weak and unfaithful. They have shown themselves not able to follow fully God's commands. And so when we look at our own kind of self coming to uh, Christmas, I think the one thing we seek to hide the most from others is our humiliation. Like, what are, what's humiliating for you in your life right now? It could be school, grades, you don't want people to know about them. How you did in that math class. Could be something at work, it could be some sin. It could just be the way you look at yourself. When you look at yourself, you feel humiliated. You feel like you're not who you should be. You're not good looking enough, you're not successful enough, you're not whatever enough. All of that humiliation, those are the things we try to hide away. We try to hide from others. We try to hide from ourselves because we don't want to deal with it. But with God, Mary gives this beautiful kind of description that God looks down upon her humiliation. God in heaven, God in his majesty and his goodness looks down upon her humiliation. The word look down upon here is a medical term in Greek. It actually means to treat and examine a patient. So when she's saying God's looked down upon my humiliation, he means that, she means that God has fully examined, fully knows, fully understands my humiliation and still saves me. And that's the amazing truth of the gospel. That God did not just come as a mask of human skin in Jesus Christ, but God came fully as a baby, 100% human being, so that he could know us. It says in Hebrews that we have a great high priest that can empathize with our weakness because he experienced it himself. But God was also 100% human when he came down as a baby, 100% God when he came down as a baby. So God can save us through Jesus Christ because he not only knows us, but he also has the power to save us to take us in our humiliation, to save us from the sin that has alienated us from God, to give us new life and hope. And all of that comes fully from God's mercy. I don't know if you've ever received this at Christmas time, but a couple years ago, well, actually last year as well, 
I just received an unexpected gift. Like I didn't expect it. They weren't on my list of people to give gifts to. They weren't on the, the people I knew were going to give me a gift. But I just got a gift just randomly. It was great. Perfect. Wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm sure you've received that as well. Either you've gotten a gift from like a coworker, a friend, a church member. You didn't expect it. They just wanted to give it to you out of the goodness of their hearts. Or you might have received some kindness or some care or love from somebody else. And those are great kind of gifts to receive. But I remember for me, it also came with a sense of obligation of like, wait, oh, wait. I didn't get them a gift. You know, the thought went in my mind of like, oh, maybe I could just run to the store. Um, I could wrap something up really quick. (laughs) Maybe Walgreens has something cool. Um, And then I could come back and be like, I was planning on giving you one too. Isn't that awesome? Merry Christmas. Christmas miracle. You know. But with those kind of gifts comes a sense of obligation. It comes a sense of, wait, I gave something, you gave something to me, now I'm in debt to you. I have to somehow repay the debt. And we do that with each other a lot. I mean, I know in, in your family, it may be if someone gives you a gift, you know you better give it back to them in kind, or they're going to write it down, and they're going to remember it 10 years from now. You know, that often happens in weddings, I know, that like, you know, the, the cousins and the uncles and the aunts are keeping a list. And so if you don't, when it comes their time for their child to get married, if you don't give them the same exact thing of the same value, they're going to look in that book and be like, oh, I gave you something for $80, you gave me something for $50, okay, we got a problem now, you know. But here we see in that Mary is trying to tell us that the gift that God gives to us in Jesus Christ, you can only receive. You can't give anything to God. Actually, Christmas is not really about us. Just think about that. Christmas time every year has nothing to do with your ability to please God. Christmas happens regardless whether your sins are so deep you don't want to share them with anyone because you think people will reject you if they know. Christmas still happens regardless of you and regardless of me because Christmas is not contingent on our goodness. Christmas is contingent on God's faithfulness and his mercy, and he shows it in such beauty at Christmas. You know, that's why we have this gift that is just doesn't make sense to unbelievers. You know, to say like, yeah, God became a human being. He lived, you know, he was born among us. It just doesn't make sense because mercy is not something that is often portrayed in our world. To understand somebody giving a free gift without any obligation is something that is hard to imagine. But it is something better than we can understand. And that's what we remember at Christmas. And it's something that not only changes us, but it changes our, our, the way we do church together. You know, when Mary was talking about uh, God's mercy, she wasn't just talking about herself. She was talking about the church as well. We see that she says, um, let me get that, that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's what she says to Uh, in her song, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So she's talking about the Jewish people, the Israelites. She says later that the Israelites have received his mercy. God has remembered his mercy on Israel. 
So she's saying here this kind of interesting thing that those who fear God will understand mercy. Those who don't fear God will not understand mercy. Isn't that interesting? The mercy of God is not, and, and fear here doesn't have to do with being terrified of God. That's not what, what fear means often in the scriptures. Fear means to respect and revere God. It means to, um, to hold God in high regard. And if you hold God in high regard, then you will fear him. If you don't hold God in high regard, you will not fear, uh, experience his mercy. And so we see here this kind of connection between how we understand ourselves and how we understand God. When we understand God's mercy, we see that we can only understand God's mercy if we come to him and we are poor. When we fear God, we realize our poverty. We realize that we are not good enough to gain God's righteousness and goodness. That we don't have enough um, goodness in ourselves to earn our salvation. We become poor. And we're reminded that only the poor then will fully understand God's mercy. Archbishop Arthur Romero, he is a, a guy that I really look up to in, in my life. He, he died in the 80s um, in El Salvador. He was actually, he's a Catholic priest and he was giving mass and a death squad came into the back of the church and they just uh, killed him and all the, all the nuns that he was giving mass for. And they did that because he was just showing Christ's love, like nonviolently just trying to love those whom the government did not want him to love. And so he was killed. And so he said this uh, just a couple years before he died. He said that no one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. And then he continued on, the self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down upon others, those who have no need, even for God, for them there will be no Christmas. Isn't that interesting? Only the poor can experience, really understand, and celebrate Christmas. I don't know if you believe that. He's talking about poverty in spirit. Knowing that you need God. So if you have a sense of, I can just do it myself, everything's good, by my own goodness, by my own self-sufficiency, I'll make it, we will never understand mercy. We'll never get it. It'll be a great concept out there, but it will not be something that changes us. But when we begin to understand that we're poor, then this church actually changes because we begin to look at each other as a bunch of poor people who need the riches of Christ. You know the old saying uh, that the church is not a country club for saints but a hospital for sinners? That's kind of what we understand when we're poor. When we think we're rich, then we just judge each other. Say, oh yeah, you're not good enough. You're not doing good enough. Oh yeah, I didn't like what you did there. And then we, we become not a community of mercy. We become a community of judgment. But when we begin to see ourselves as poor, as I need Christ, then I begin to realize that actually you need Christ as well. So then my speech to you does not become judgment. My speech to you becomes encouragement. Receive the mercy of God. Receive the goodness of God. And I, I begin to show you that mercy and goodness because I've received it. If I don't receive mercy, if I'm trying to be rich in my own, out of my own work and out of my own um, sufficiency, then I'm not going to give any mercy to anyone. I don't have any to give. 
but the more that I can understand my poverty, that I am nothing without God, that my hope comes not from inside me, but it comes from outside me, then I actually have much more grace for everyone around me. I'm much more able to accept those around me who are different than me. I'm much more able to share love with those even who are not kind to me. I'm able to care for those who don't really even care for me. Because of mercy. An undeserved gift. And this even changes the way we look at the world around us. Mary, in the end of this passage, gives this radical view of the world around us. I don't know if you caught it. I'll just give you a couple verses here. She, has said, she said, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. Mary here gets radical at the end of her song. She gets this radical vision of the world that does not look anything like the world around us. She speaks of this world where the, where the poor get good things, where the, the powerless become powerful and the powerful become powerless, where the wicked in their richness are scattered while the poor in spirit, those of humble estate, are lifted up. And we see that that's not happening around us. That is just the opposite. Truth and love does not succeed in the era of fake news. We don't even know what truth and love is. We get confused about it. The wicked prosper all around the world. We just have to look at the news every day. So we can look at this and say, well, that's a great hope, but that's not really happening. But we see here what Mary is actually saying here. We can see it in the tense of what she, how she speaks of this. In the Greek, this is called the aorist tense. It's past. So she says, God has shown his strength. God has scattered. He's done it already. And what the aorist sense in Greek uh, means is a timeless truth. So what she's saying here is for believers, we understand that God has done these things. We look in the history of Israel. Mary was thinking back to the people of Israel and how, ga- how God scattered the Egyptian forces. How God led them into the wilderness with hope. But that this is also happening in the present God is working his plan. God is bringing mercy through his kingdom in the present, though we can't see it, though it's hard to understand it. And God will do this in the future. He will end history with total justice and mercy. So when we believe in God, we are challenged to look at the world through a lens of mercy. To not just look at the lens through a political uh, ideology, or even just through the lens of of the news that we see every day, but to look at it through mercy. We are the people of mercy, who have been given mercy by God. So we're called to look at each other in mercy. We're called to look at this neighborhood through the lens of mercy. How is God working, and how does God want us to give people what they don't deserve? How does God want us to give this city what they don't deserve? How does God want us to give compassion and forgiveness to this world, even though we could give judgment and punishment? How is God calling us to do that? I hope you can get a vision at Christmas that God is calling us to be a people of mercy. 
He is calling us to look at the world and look at ourselves through a lens of mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. The most amazing thing in the history of the world happened at Christmas time. God, in Jesus Christ, stripped himself of all but love and became a human baby, became fully vulnerable, but also fully divine. And because of that, we have a message of mercy to the world. We have an amazing message, amazing gift to give to the world. That God has not judged them according to their sins, but God has saved them through the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I encourage you this Christmas season to receive it. To just receive it. To stop in the midst of the giving of gifts and the receiving of gifts and the busyness and the stress and the sadness and whatever it is and just receive it. And then as you go forth to give it. To give mercy to one person. Maybe it's a person on the street. Maybe it's a person in your home. Maybe it's the person that sleeps next to you, your wife or your husband. Just to show them mercy. As a way of remembering the mercy you have been given. Let's pray.